fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. I I almost started the show off by breaking into song. I don't know, are, are we are we going to do that right away? Or is that just something we, we plan on doing later? Or You know, I... I uh, Tale as old as time. Depends on how long this drink lasts. Well, I've got a couple down here ready to go. I've got two in the holster, so um, I'm staring at a uh, a decanter of whiskey actually Ooh. within my reach. But hey, I, I I call it a decanter of whiskey because I don't like the word can't. Don't like <laughs> That's it. thinking positively. There you go. Yeah, so you got to think positively about there that. Go. Um, there no, you go. actually, it's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. There you go. It's my if whiskey. I had a hammer, I'd smack you in the mouth. Mm-hmm. All right, what are we doing here? Tale as old as time. Oh, that went we in a very interesting way. It did actually. It, <laughs> I sounded like the crash test gum, dubby's guy. Once, that, yeah, there, go. there was a girl. There who, you go. Once there was this boy who. Copped an attitude with a haggard-looking old crone, and when she tried to hand him a rose, he shoved it right back in her face. He didn't even know that she was an enchantress. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's the it's the there whole story right there. There you go. You it's, know, you were also borderline little James Hatfield in there too. Yes, a little bit. I must have. I must have everything with it. Yeah, yeah. I must have missed sixty minutes. What are you saying? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So that happened. Yeah. Well, here we are. All right, and that's the end of the episode. Good night, everybody. Thank Good you, night. Everybody. Cue the music. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, scene Stealers, uh, International Convention Day. No. Um, so as you can probably tell, I have Jeffrey. Speaking of tale as old as time, Jeffrey, how are oh, you doing? Stop it. <laughs> I am. I'm well. Good. I'm well. Good. I'm well. I'm glad you're well. The family's good. Yeah, you know, lots of transitions going on, but um, everyone's adjusting. Yeah. Thomas started uh, preschool a couple weeks ago, so that's oh. been interesting. Yeah, Mikey, Mikey just turned two. Yeah, so. his birthday was the other day. Yeah, they're getting big. All right, fast. so Mikey, Mikey, when you're listening to the podcast, happy birthday, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, when he listens to this in, I don't know, 15 years. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy second birthday, Mikey. 13 years ago. All right. And then the other person we've got here, you can hear his voice in the background a little bit there. Um, how, how can I introduce Patrick? This is the man who could take a death sentence and turn it into a life paragraph. It's Cat Patrick Canagallo. <laughs> man, that was great. Were you winding up for that one? No, I stole that from somewhere else. <laughs> okay, good. Because I like that one. Yeah. I like that one. Hey, everybody. <laughs> how are good you doing, Pat? I'm doing well. I was thinking, how do you introduce me on the on the show? Um, it's usually Pat, uh, wake up, yeah. or it's just like, okay, now we're going to throw this over to Pat. And, mm. oh, hey, yeah, Gremlins Two is great, guys. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Pat, Pat, we're talking about uh, Karate Kid Three, but uh, <laughs> that's right. I like. I really like the part with the, the spider gremlin and the. Uh, yes. Uh, but here we are. Hey, and you know what? Uh, I'm obviously out of order, out of sync by the time this gets released. But, you know, a sad week last week with the passing of Norm MacDonald. And, um, you know, I mean, it was one of those things. It's it's interesting. Like, I, uh, well, interesting and probably unfortunate. You know, it's like going back and like, man, I got to go check out some of his stuff, you know, and just marveling at it. And it's funny because when I first started listening to him and, and being, I think I was too young to fully understand it and fully get it. Um, but then, you know, looking back and just being like, God, that guy's amazing, you know? Uh, so that's pretty crazy. And then this is, you know, maybe even outside the realm for a lot of our listeners, but uh, well, I don't want to assume for our listeners, but I mean, in terms of movies, but the passing of uh, Robin Miller and Robin Miller was a, uh, he started off as like a newspaper reporter and then he, uh, he focused on motor racing. He's a huge motor racing fan, especially Indy cars and um, just the champion of American open wheel Indy car racing, Robin Miller. And he, you know, it's, it's a, I, it's a cliche phrase, but he would speak truth to power, like, and in his writing, in his TV announcing, whatever he would do, he would interview people and uh, like, he would not hold back. You know what I'm saying? Like he would, he would question and like, he would put people on the spot, team owners on the spot. He'd speak his mind. Um, and uh, had, the, uh, my understanding is a ton of respect from the people in the paddock was somewhat polarizing because like he'd either come after you or, you know, be your best friend. Um, but just had so much respect and was such a voice for IndyCar racing, of uh, which I am definitely a fan. And he passed uh, before his time. Um, it was cancer and, and it, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm my condolences to all of, you know, Norm McDonald and Robin Miller, their families, but um, you know, as a fan, it's, it's just a, been a kind of an interesting couple of weeks, you know, seeing the passing of, of some icons. So, yeah. so there you go. There's, there's the sentence turned into the paragraph, Pat, how you doing? Yeah. And you know, a simple fine would have, <laughs> it would have, it would have. Hey, have you seen that documentary on Netflix Schumacher? Oh, mm. Jeffrey. Oh, Jeffrey. I haven't watched it. I was just, I saw, oh. I saw it pop up at one point. I'm like, oh, I wonder if Pat knows yep. this. He's on here. Yes. Yes. I was counting down the days till that came out. Yeah. It's, Michael Schumacher, the great one. I mean, and I like, I remember watching that, you know, it was like, uh, it was like watching the the last dance with the bulls. I remember when all that happened and it's the same thing with this. So yeah, hmm. it's, it's, it's quite good. And Michael Schumacher was, uh, was the great one is the great one. So. 
Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a look. Maybe I'll yeah. give it a look. We'll see. I'm, I'm yeah, still, when, I'm still recovering I, I, from Val. <laughs> yeah. I was I I was more into NASCAR than I was Formula One, but mm. I don't know. Yeah. They all drive in a circle, right? What's the matter? What's the difference? That's it's all the same thing. Although Formula One cars, before every fan like starts sending hate mail, which if you have any hate mail for Pat, please attach your message to a PlayStation Five and send it to the show. Um, the um, the Formula One cars don't race ovals, so. Yeah, well, there we go. And actually, all, a lot. We all learned something today. And actually, NASCAR uh, races a lot of road courses now. You know what I'm saying? So, Do they? oh yeah, yeah. When, when, I, when I was watching back, when I was watching, I think there were only two road courses that yeah. they would race. One or two. Yeah, not that many at all. No. There's. They were up at. Uh, they just ran Elkhart. I know they run Watkins Glen. Um, I. I, I'm going to fully admit you guys would know more about NASCAR than myself. I mean, I've watched a couple of races. I kind of follow it. And, oh, probably not anymore. It's been a while since I've followed. So, I don't even know if my driver's still driving. I, I know for a fact ours is not. <laughs> ours, yeah. was, ours was Michael Waltrip. He stopped driving kind of around the same time we stopped watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm just saying um, I don't throw shade at, you know, different uh, uh, sports and all that kind of thing. But I'll tell you, man, IndyCar season – IndyCar series, man, it's it's fun to watch. It's it's good stuff. Well, I want it's to good look stuff. To see if my driver's still driving. Right, who's, who's your driver? Who's your driver? Clint Boyer. Oh, he he might be. I I at look the, at I look at some NASCAR at, stuff every now and then. At the time that I started watching, it was I I didn't know how to watch NASCAR. I was dating someone that was from Joliet, so it was in her blood. Um, she said, "You know what? Just pick a car." Find a car that you like. And mm-hmm. at the time, he was driving for Jack Daniels. So the when she said that, the Jack Daniels car went across my screen. I was like, that one. There we go. <laughs> but then he went, he hopped around to a couple different sponsors. So I was watching him for a while. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see if he's still. Uh, according to, I think according to Wikipedia, he's still around. Yeah. I just jumped on the uh, on the old NASCAR website here. Uh, he is um, okay. So for the 2021 season, uh, he will be joining Fox Sports as a broadcaster and not racing anymore. But he did race last year. Oh, interesting. So just missed him. Just missed him. All right. Missed him. Okay. Well, anyway. Yeah. But that like Clint Boyer was kind of you know he was around the same time because we started watching. In 2003, 2004. Okay. And so that would have been around the time. I, I want to say, well, actually, yeah, I just I looked right here. In the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, his first race was in 2005. I started watching around 2007, okay. I believe. Yeah, I think by the, time we, by the time we had kids, so when John was born in 2007, that's about the time we kind of stopped watching. So we were, we were pretty heavy into it from about 2003 to about... Maybe 2007, 2008. So, yeah. Well, all the people that came to hear about uh, Beauty and the Beast are, are probably enthralled by our NASCAR talk. I'm sure they are. The, we I are, think we should. That's why they came here. I mean, we, I are, we are a full service podcast here. Yeah. We do everything. We'll talk about anything. And especially if you become one of our uh, one of our co-executive producers, 
on Patreon. How would they do that, John? They would do that by going to Patreon and they can go to our website, uh, 30podcast.com, and look for the donate page uh, where they can become a co-executive producer. Or they can go to Patreon and search up 30-something movie podcast, either way. But well, I think that's something that everyone should do. I think they should do that. And there's all kinds of great, good bonus content there, too. It's it's all kinds great. of good stuff. And did you just say great, good? I did. I did. I meant to yeah. throw a comma in there, like great and good, but then I realized, nah, we'll just roll with it. I just made it. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge anyone. No. I'm just oh, saying, that's, to... that's not true. <laughs> I'm not here to judge anyone out loud. Okay. All right. You're not here to judge anyone that's not john i'm not here to judge anyone that's not here okay so red sonia oh i love that movie they're they're doing a remake (laughs) well you guys i'm gonna go this is great (laughs) they're they're doing a remake at some point so red sonia is right up there with pearl harbor it's gotta be (laughs) uh good times and apparently point break for me so you know there we go (laughs) And yeah, I heard that. Yeah. I heard that episode. That yeah, supposedly I hate Point Break. So that's that's so, the rumor that I I read on the bathroom wall. The, the word is out with it. The bathrooms still have walls. Aren't the kids stealing well, those now? Ah, uh, don't. I you know I talked to my students about that, and I said I would like to start a TikTok trend in which students record themselves showing up to class on time. Oh, there you go. And. And it's just, I don't like, I've gotten emails from my kids' schools and we, like they trash the bathroom and put it on tic-tac-toe. Yes. Or they steal things from school and then take videos of themselves unveiling the thing that they stole. Yeah. Which is attached to their account that is attached to their name. Right. So, well, I officially became old. Nobody said they were the brightest bulbs. No. The brightest so, bulbs, they wouldn't know where to find to steal them. So stay in school, kids. Although I did uh, I, I did give one of our administrative friends a laugh today. I was over at one of our middle schools, and I was meeting with one of the principals. And I said, hey, <clears throat> uh, when we're done here in a couple minutes, do you mind if I back my car up to the front door here at the school? Because I've got a urinal and some uh, hand uh, soap dispensers and some paper towel rolls that I'd like to throw in my trunk. Um, I've, I've currently got some in my backpack right now. So can I just back the car up and, and throw those in there? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, he said, do you need a screwdriver to take one of the stalls apart? And I said, you know, actually that would be, would you be a pal and get me one? So would you be a pal? Yeah. <laughs> How kind. Yeah. How kind. <laughs> you know, that's that, that really sums up the, the district we work for. The, the camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. That somebody is willing to go grab you a screwdriver. Now, the wrong kind of screwdriver, but, you know, can't have those in the middle of the day at work. Anymore. Any, well, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, very, very quickly, we <clears throat> spoil freely. We're just going to talk and spoil, so be warned. Um, also, we are part of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network, so we are sponsored by Scene Stealers. They are an international convention agent that has a top-class roster of movie and TV stars ready to be booked now for your Comic-Con or event. For more information, check out www.scenestealersglobal.com. Uh, and then you can go to our website, 30podcast.com, all kinds of good stuff there. Um, you can help vote on some potential movies for next year. Uh, you can also give us a rating. You can... Uh, join us on Patreon. There's a link for that there as well. So head on over there, check it out. All of our past episodes are there as well. All 373 uh, episodes, not including this one, are there for you for your listening pleasure. Wow. So 
Yeah, this is this is three seventy. Yep, this is three seventy. This one's three seventy four. Jeez. So, look at you go, man. That's awesome. Moving right along, as the Muppets say. That's fantastic. So it's it's pretty sweet. I'm I'm really kind of, I'm really kind of hoping that. um, What did the Nerdist end up with when when they kind of went off the air? Are they like nine hundred and something? I don't know. I mean, he's it. It's back. It's the ID10T yeah, podcast, but, and it, like he carried all the uh, episodes over. I know, but I'm I'm counting that as being like a- he, Action Comics Volume Two, Number One. He he went he went on hiatus for a while. Yeah, when you know some things were going on, some issues. Um, but he's been doing a bunch of it uh, episodes again. Okay. So all right. Uh, Right, I think well, he crossed the thousand mark. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll catch up at some point, maybe. Someday. He's older than me, so maybe he'll die first, and then I'll just keep going. That was a very weird that, thing. To that die. took a dark turn, especially for yes. a kid. We're talking about a kid's movie. Why would you guys let me say that? Well, you know, John, <laughs> I've got nothing. Tale as old as time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm yeah, if I'm going the James Hetfield route. Tale as old as time. Tale as old as time. Yeah. All right. True as it can be. Unless we go the Axl Rose route. Tale as old as time. Could do that. That might that be a would... bit much. I don't see a Guns N' Roses version of Beauty and the Beast. Although that would be oh. interesting. Although, I do want to see the Beast wearing a kilt and a leather jacket. Or Slash's top hat. That too. That would also be awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump on into this one. Beauty and well, the hold Beast. On. Hold oh. on. Before we do. Here's the news. Another action-filled adventure. I would like to, since we're talking about a musical. Yeah. I would like to just mention that the trailer, the first full trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story yes. came out, and holy smokes, does that look incredible. Yeah. Tonight, tonight, the world is full of This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm going to think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? If you go with him, no 
no one will ever forgive you. There were some visuals that were so deliciously Spielberg mm-hmm. that I just, I, I'm excited. I, I love West Side Story to begin with. I, I, I love the, the original. I love the music. Um, I was intrigued when I heard that Spielberg was going to be doing a remake of it. But mm-hmm. um, it looks great. It sounds great. I can't wait for the album to be, uh, to be available because the, the cast just sounds phenomenal so i'm super yeah. excited this may be the movie that gets katie and i back into theaters okay yeah no it, it looks good I'm looking forward to that one so if you guys at, at home listening uh haven't seen the trailer for it look it up because i think even i think even non-musical people might appreciate it because it looks approachable for non-musical folk. Yeah. That's the sense I get from it. And those, those of us that do know it, that are very familiar with it. Um, or, you know, that have had to elbow somebody who was falling asleep through it. Um, I'm not going to say any names. (laughs) You sat next to Pat. (laughs) What? I didn't say anything. I fall asleep like during my own show. You know what I'm saying? So Pat I mean, I, I heard those episodes in which Pat was no longer <laughs> part of the show. Um, Pat but, falls. Asleep, Pat falls asleep when he's asleep. Yeah, it's the dream within the dream it's, thing. It's the Inception deal. Yeah. Yes. Pat incepts himself all the time. Hopefully, he's by himself. Uh, well, anyway. does he stop spinning or does he keep on spinning? That's the question. Tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so go check story. out the uh, the trailer for uh, West Side Story because it just it looks great. I'm excited for it. Do not go into the West Wing of the Castle, but you can check out West Side Story. Or you can just watch the West Wing or seasons can... one one through four before it gets weird. Yes, you can. Got to do that sometime soon. What if Aaron Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin wrote Beauty and the Beast? That'd be interesting. There'd be a, a lot, lot of walking and talking through the as, castle. As I say, there's going to be a lot of cutlery walking around. Wow, this this kitchen, Anyways. this kitchen seems busier than in the cartoon version. <laughs> yeah. Why don't they just stop and stand? <laughs> just, yeah. How many hallways does this castle have? Yeah. Jeez. Don't you stop and be my guest. Stop and stand. Okay. Just cut it out. Be my guest. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. right. Anyway. Anyway. All right. Let's, let's, let's learn about Beauty and the Beast. John, what do you have for us? All right. So I'm going to go through all the info. I know you've got some info for us. You've got some stuff you want to talk about, about, uh, at, uh, at Disney world, Beauty and the Beast. Well, I just, I, I've got some, uh, some history, some history. Okay. History about the, the making of almost a continuation of my comments from 
way back when we did the Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. Give us the particulars, and then I'll jump into a little bit of history. Yeah. So we'll do uh, we'll do all that. We'll play the trailer for the people, and um, then you can go on into your your history stuff. So jumping back a little bit in history. 22nd of November 1991 is when this one came out. It was rated G with a runtime of one hour and 24 minutes, directed by two gentlemen, Gary Truesdale and Kirk Weiss. Truesdale also did the, actually both of them, also did The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Don Hahn did the, he was the producer for this one. He also did The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Lion King. Writers, um, there's a whole gaggle of writers for this one. Uh, Linda Wolverton did the animation screenplay, Brenda Chapman, Chris Sanders, Bernie Mattinson, Kevin Harkey, Brian Pemintol, uh, Bruce Woodside, Joe Ranf, Tom Ellery, Kelly Asbury, and Robert Lentz all did the story. Um, let's see, Joe Ranf died in 2005, Kelly Asbury died in 2020, and then all those folks, Wolverton also did The Lion King, Chapman did Brave, Sanders did Mulan, Mattinson did The Great Mouse Detective, Harkey did Tarzan, um... Pimental or Pimental, I don't know how you say that. Uh, he did a goofy movie, Woodside, Beauty and the Beast was the only one. Ranf did Toy Story, Ellery did Beauty and the Beast, Asbury did Nomeo and Juliet, and Lentz did Home on the Range. The editor for this one, we had three of them. There was John Carn- Carnachan, Ellen Kenneshe, and Bill Wilner. Uh, Carnachan did The Lion King, Kenneshe did Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and Wilner did Duckman and Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Music was done by Alan Menken, who did he did the music. Uh, Howard Ashman, who died in 1991, did the lyrics. Menken also did The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and Pocahontas. Ashman did Little Shop of Horrors, the 1986 version, and The Little Mermaid. Lots of little things there. Budget for this one was $25 million. Box office was $440.1 million. Flick Metrics gives it an 83%. Cinema Score gives it an A+. So the people liked it. Uh, Robbie Benson played Beast. He was in One on One and The Legend of Prince Valiant. Jesse Corti played LeFou. He was in Zootopia and Frozen. Rex Everhart, uh, who died in 2000, played Maurice. He was in Superman the Movie and Friday the 13th. Angela Lansbury played Mrs. Potts. She was in Murder, She Wrote and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Paige O'Hara played Belle. She was in The Legend of Prince Valiant and Ralph Breaks the Internet. Jerry Orbach, who died in 2004, played Lumiere. He was in Law and Order and Dirty Dancing. Bradley Pierce played Chip. He was in Jumanji and Detective Pikachu. David Ogden Steers, who died in 2018, played Cogsworth and the narrator. He was in MASH and Pocahontas. Richard White played Gaston. He was in King's Quest and House of Mouse. Joanne Worley played The Wardrobe. She was in a goofy movie and The Middle. And Mary Kay Bergman, who died in 1999, played Bimbet. She was in South Park and Mulan. An arrogant young prince and his castle servants fall under the spell of a wicked enchantress who turns him into the hideous beast until he learns to love and be loved in return, which oddly sounds like Moulin Rouge. Uh, The spirited, headstrong village girl, Belle, enters the beast's castle after he imprisons her father, Maurice. With the help of his enchanted servants, including the matronly Mrs. Potts, Belle begins to draw the cold-blooded beast out of his isolation. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture. Is anyone here? Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Good. A girl. The classic story of beauty and the beast. He was a lonely beast, cursed by a mysterious spell. 
and she was the beautiful young girl who could set him and his kingdom free. She's the one! She has come to break the spell! They were two complete opposites. I don't want to have anything to do with him. She is being so difficult. Until something wonderful happened. There's something sweet. Straighten up. And almost kind. Show me the smile. But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined. And now he's dear. You look so... And so Stupid. I wonder why I didn't see it there before. It's a story filled with fun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Adventure. Sacre bleu. Invaders. <laughs> and dozens of wonderful new Disney characters. Keep it down. Featuring six new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer and lyricist of The Little Mermaid. This holiday season, share the fun, the magic, and the music of an entertainment event you'll never forget. Disney's Beauty and the Beast. All right. Jeff, regale us. All right. So a little bit, um, probably more than a little bit, more than you probably want to know about the history of the animated Beauty and the Beast. To best understand the history of Beauty and the Beast, you have to look back to the 1930s and again in the 1950s. That's when Walt really wanted to make this movie become a reality. After the success of um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a lot of ideas were tossed around and he kept on coming back to this. But there was a problem developing the story, so it never really took off. And it's also believed that the uh, French film from 1946 that was made also was a deterrent then for Walt to try to follow it up with an animated story. So Walt never actually got to see production of this happen, but the title remained in the, the, the fishbowl of choices every time that the idea of what do we do next comes along. So to kind of set the stage, Disney animation is making a comeback after almost being nearly shut down completely. Michael Eisner had appointed Jeffrey Katzenberg, the head of animation, and under Katzenberg, they uh, create The Little Mermaid, which completely takes off. Um, However, the follow-up to The Little Mermaid was The Rescuers Down Under, one of the positives of the rescuers down under was the use of computers to create animation because that gets employed in the animated beauty and the beast. One of the negatives to come out of the rescuers down under is that it's failure made, uh, made the budget and timeline for beauty and the beast drop. All of a sudden there wasn't a lot of faith in, um, in Disney animation. They had a one hit wonder with the little mermaid. So there's a lot of pressure riding on beauty and the beast. What's it going to do? How's it going to perform? Um, so it does become the next movie for Disney. That's what they decide on. That's what they want to work on. Now it starts as a non-musical under the direction of Richard Purdom, 
who's a successful director in the UK. So this production moves to London so he can have more of a stake in it. And after six months, they screen the first 20 minutes or so of the movie for Jeffrey Katzenberg. And his response is, I don't like it. Scrap it all. Let's start again. After a few more months, it becomes clear to Purdom that his vision of this movie is not going to get made. Katzenberg mentions the idea of, I think maybe we need to make this a musical like we did with The Little Mermaid. That is not where Purdom's mind is at with this story. So he resigns. And two very young story artists, Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, become appointed as the acting directors of the film. And they are way in over their heads. To hear them in an interview, one says that it's almost as if all of a sudden a spotlight just shone on them and they were the ones in charge. And the other followed with, yeah, it's kind of like when you turn a light on, you catch the roach in the middle of the room before you could run away. That's how they felt. Like, this is our thing now. What are we going to do with it? With that in mind, the production moves from London back to Burbank. Jeffrey Katzenberg hosts a big party every year. And it's at this party where he apparently corners Howard Ashman and starts talking to him about Beauty and the Beast. Ashman having written a lot of the, the or, or helped write a lot of the music for The Little Mermaid, um, had already started developing his next project for Disney, his pet project, the one he really, really wanted to do, and that was Aladdin. So Ashman's all in on doing Aladdin and Katzenberg finally convinces him to put that on hold and to please come help with Beauty and the Beast. So he starts sharing his ideas with the story. And one of the first big problems that they face with the story is how do we start this thing? How do we begin? How do we, what do we do with this story? And it's Ashman's idea that he says we should have the, the beast in his prince form but as a child. And lo and behold, it becomes the best way for this story to start. So March 26, 1990, production is continuing on Beauty and the Beast, and it's Oscar night. And The Little Mermaid goes on to win three Oscars for the music. But later that week, Ashman shares with Mencken, Alan Mencken, that he's sick. He says, right after the Oscars, he says, hey, let's talk later this week. I need to tell you about something. So when they're talking, uh, Alan Menken recounted that. Uh, he said, so what's going on? And, and Ashman said, well, I, I think you know I'm sick. I have, uh, I have HIV. And Menken didn't know Um. But what that really means is Ashman knows, and now Mencken knows that his time is short. He doesn't have as much time and probably won't have as much energy to keep working on this movie. There are stories um, of Alan Mencken bringing a keyboard to Ashman's hospital room. And as Ashman was facing some of his final days, still working with him, on developing music for Aladdin. I believe they said Prince Ali was written from Howard Ashman's uh, hospital bed. Um, so work is being done 
on Beauty and the Beast. And I couldn't find a timestamp for this next bit of information or a date. I tried, I, I couldn't quite come across it. But a media event is staged um, to start showcasing some of Beauty and the Beast to New York media. And just a couple of clips and some song samples. Um, and it goes incredibly well, incredibly well. And there's a lot of excitement. So the creative team uh, from that venue gets in a cab and they go to St. Vincent's Hospital where Ashman is. And they tell him all about it. And, uh, you know, he's now at this point, he's lost his eyesight. He's down to about 80 pounds. He can barely talk. He's only, you know, got a whisper. Um, but he's wearing a Beauty and the Beast sweatshirt while he's laying in this bed. He so strongly believes in this project. Producer Dan uh, Don Han had whispered right before he left. He whispers to um, Howard Ashman, Beauty and the Beast is going to be a great success. Who'd have thought it? And Howard replied in a very quiet whisper, I would have. A few days later, March 14th, 1991, Howard Ashman dies, never having been able to see a completed version of this movie or Aladdin, his pet project. So we move ahead to September 29th of 1991. The film is unfinished. But there's an idea. What if they were to take this unfinished film, fill in the gaps with storyboards, pencil sketches, and remove some of the completed animation, but screen it at the New York Film Festival? This, this is one of my favorite parts of this history. This becomes a risky move. Because remember, a lot is depending on the success of Beauty and the Beast. It's part of the this renaissance era for Disney, right? Lone Mermaid, huge success. Rescue is down under, huge flop. What's going to happen with this one? Apparently, as the story goes, once this pencil sketch storyboarded version of the film finishes, the theater erupts in a 10-minute standing ovation. That's when they know they are definitely onto something. Someone commented that it was like watching an audience at a Broadway show up on their feet. This also leads to some big egos, and this, is, this becomes a problem in the Disney company, and this becomes a problem for Disney animation. Various people are trying to take credit for the successful elements of everything so far. Seemingly, it's more Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's the chairman of Walt, uh, a chairman at Walt Disney Studios. He's in charge of their movie department and their animation department. According to Michael Eisner, he's fine with Jeffrey Katzenberg trying to take whatever credit he wants as long as he's associating himself with Disney animation. Eisner says, I've got enough adulation in my life. I'm not trying to seek out anymore. If Katzenberg really wants to take credit, fine, as long as he's tying it to the right properties. Now, Katzenberg has been described as someone who 
had a very deep need to either feel or be seen as being very important. Um, this attitude, though, coming from both Eisner and Katzenberg, offends Roy Disney, who is the nephew of Walt Disney. Um, it's Frank Wells, who's the president of the Disney company at the time, who's kind of ab able to keep the team level-headed, keep them together, keep them focused, and try to work as the peacemaker. But there is a very deep divide in the heads of these different parts of uh, Disney. Fast forward to November 10th of 91. This is the Beauty and the Beast premiere. The bigwigs, it's tradition. The bigwigs all give a speech before the movie starts. So we start with Roy Disney, again, vice chairman and chairman of the animation department, followed by Peter Schneider, who's president of Disney Feature Animation, followed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Weiss, who are the film's directors, followed by Don Hahn, who's the uh, major producer for Beauty and the Beast, followed by Jeffrey Katzenberg, chairman of Walt Disney Studios, followed by Michael Eisner, who's CEO of Disney. And it's during Eisner's comments that he drops this bit of information that because of the success from Little Mermaid, having won Oscars, making a lot of money, because of the uh, believed success for Beauty and the Beast, a new animation building is going to be built on the Disney property for the Disney animators. Sounds cool. Sounds great. Sounds well-deserved. The problem is Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's in charge of the animation department, is not told about this. He's kept out of the loop. So he becomes very highly offended, and this is kind of where it really falls apart. So the relationships between these bigwigs don't survive, and a couple years later, Jeffrey Katzenberg is no longer working for Disney. But Beauty and the Beast opens to rave reviews, huge box office numbers, takes home a number of Golden Globes, including for best mo motion picture, musical, or comedy. First time ever that an animated movie has won that particular Golden Globe. Goes on to become a best picture nominee for the Oscars, plus five other nominations. And this is back when the Oscars only had five movies in their best picture category. So the fact that an animated movie was up there for best picture really shows and speaks to its strengths as a product, as, as a final film. Now it loses out for best picture, loses to Silence of the Lambs. But the mere fact that it got nominated for best picture, real, like I said, really speaks volumes for how well it is adored and respected as a piece of art. Um, 1994 becomes the first Disney animated movie to be reworked as a Broadway musical and runs from 94 to 2007. In 2002, it gets a re-release in IMAX and it includes a cut song called Human Again. 
the the animated sequence was dropped back into the movie. 2012, it gets a 3D re-release. And in 2017, it gets its own live-action remake. It's also spurned a number of animated sequels and spinoffs and such. So there we go. That's a little bit of history. I will continue my story of the history of the Disney Renaissance animation when we get to Aladdin. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you all for indulging me. And hopefully too many listeners didn't skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. I don't know why they would want to. That was a really concise, like, awesome, just laid it all out, man. I, I dug all it. I, all I know how to say is here endeth the lesson. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. Now, yeah, let's, thank you. let's talk about this movie. Yeah, so um, well, we can start with one of our typical first questions. Um, I, I'm not even going to start with, this is the first time you've seen this movie, because I'm going to assume this is not the first time we've seen this. Jeff, I know it's not the first time you've seen it. Uh, Pat, first time, I don't think it's the first time you've seen this. No, I was going to try and like do some joke and try and put you guys on, but no, I, okay. I got nothing. Like, I can't even joke about that. Like, how can you not okay. have seen this movie, right? right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how's this movie make you feel? Pat, go for it. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, you know, so let's start talking about the music. It gets me right from the first, uh, that really haunting, I'm way off key and I can't remember the exact flow of the melody. That's about right. But it's a very... Peculiar uh, is not the right word, but it's a very um, haunting type melody. There's a little bit of sad in there. There's a little bit of mystery. It sucks me in right away. Oh, right there. Bum, bum, bum. And then it's got... Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it sets up, um, you know, it's got like distant thunder, you know, the drum rolls. And then, you know, when it's got the piano thing, that piano lick that's going uh, with that melody, that do, 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 do. It's like this constant motion. So even though this thing is flowing and it's mysterious, you've got this undercurrent kind of, of tension building, you know? Um, so that sucks me in right away. And it's funny because looking back, I didn't, Okay, we're not talking history. How does this movie make you feel? So there, it sucks me in with a, with an air of mystery. And then for some reason, this ensemble, the opening ensemble song, uh, Bonjour, Bonjour, I don't know the name of the tune, but holy cow, that really captured me. Like I got the same excitement just rewatching it this time. Like the one, like the one before, before. 
little town full of little people. Yeah. There goes the baker with his tray. I always the same old bread and rolls to sell. Every morning just the same since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town. Good morning, Belle. Where are you off to? The bookshop. And that song, that song really suckers me in. And it's it's catchy and it's fun and it establishes Belle. It establishes the townspeople. Gaston comes in and has a part. And then when they build back to the chorus um, and then everyone's singing, I just get that same feeling watching this that I do sitting in the audience of a musical. And then suddenly it's an ensemble tune and the whole ensemble Jeff, you're the expert in this, so I don't know if it's an actual technique or whatever, but it's like, you know, it's it's like there's stuff. And in the scene, they had that, you know, people walking around and everyone has their, like, you know, thing that you do to look like you're a busy townsperson while you're singing and, and its song is trading off. They have a chorus, but then this is like the end of the tune when the entire cast is facing the audience and singing right at you. And that the final chorus of this song Holy cow, that just lays me out, and it, it just captures me. Um, so what's my reaction to this movie? Would be that, those opening songs, the mystery, and just that wonderful uh, instrumental introduction, and then the full ensemble song, especially the final chorus, where it's the whole ensemble singing, um, just gets me. So that's what I think of when I think of this movie. That's, that's what I feel. I just feel good. I'm sucked in with the music. Well, I don't think you're wrong in your estimation. I think it was very much crafted to be very theatrical. Okay. Um, and, you know, that, I, that, that opening number, you watch that opening number and you're right. It is like watching a stage production. Now, and I'm going to interrupt you because I want, I want you to answer this for me. I'm thinking of Lion King. I'm thinking of Little Mermaid. I'm thinking of Aladdin. Why didn't I get that same kind of vibe? Now, I'm not saying in terms of emotional involvement. I had the same amount, like all those movies, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade at them, but this one seemed different. Those, this one made me feel like I am sitting at a musical. Those I didn't have. Do you know what I, I'm saying? I was actually thinking the exact same thing. It was like I, okay, was trying, good. I was trying to remember back and be like, all right, I haven't watched Little Mermaid since we talked about it two years ago. Um, right. But this one seems more, and I was trying to think of the right word to, to use, this one seems more complex in its staging, in its, you know, just how the songs are constructed. Um, but you're right. Like this one, when I think Well, of, it very much is, though, because yeah. you have that many people right. doing a thing. Right. Okay. And I you feel know, like, you, and, you, I'm, and I might you, be wrong on it, but I feel like a lot of the songs in Little Mermaid, I'm trying to remember back, they're much more... There's only like one person singing or maybe a couple of people singing or mm -hmm. but but you don't have I don't recall Little Mermaid or even Lion King or, or those others having those ensemble pieces. And you have so many of those in this movie. Well, so in terms of the openings, you're right. I mean, this opening is huge compared to it or it's very grand compared to the others. Right. Aladdin opens with um, the salesman the vendor yeah. singing, right? Uh, or the, 
the genie, if you will. But we'll talk about that when we get to Aladdin. Um, but Lion King opens with the the birth of Simba. Um, while and while very grand in its scope, musically, vocally, there is a ensemble, but they don't provide the same oomph because you don't see the ensemble. Um, but Beauty and the Beast, you see the ensemble. It's very much like watching the, a story unfold on stage. And it, you know, they treat the ensemble cast in animation the same way that you would as a director of a Broadway show or a, a theatrical performance of Beauty and the Beast. So, Patrick, your um, estimation and summation is right on. Okay. You know, I, I, I think that's exactly what they want you to feel. They, they, they want you to have that almost take your breath away moment when, um, when the first song is completed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, t- to sum up my, how do I feel about this movie to sum it up? I'm going to see if I can do this. Well, I'm going to say that my reaction is Wow. And I'm going to say that because after I saw Little Mermaid, my reaction was, wow. Like, wow, they did that with Little Mermaid. That was awesome. And then to see Beauty and the Beast, my reaction is bigger because it's just, wow. They took Little Mermaid and they kicked it up a bunch of notches to create Beauty and the Beast. And it is impressive. And it holds up 30 years later. And there's so many reasons why that is. And a lot of it is the music and and the way that they treated the idea. This is the first animated movie, I believe, that used an actual screenwriter to write a story. Animated movies before this were all storyboarded without really having a script like you would with a live action movie. This was given the treatment as if it was live action. So there was an actual story screenwriter brought in to write this thing from top to bottom. So that definitely contributes to the field. Just the, the approach of this was completely different. Was little mermaid a musical before, or was it a story that was adapted into a musical? It's a, it's a, I believe Hans Christian Andersen story. Okay. Yeah. So it's a story that went yeah. to a musical yeah. and, that they, and that they turned into a musical. And I'm going to, I'm going to, sorry, because I, I, I should have taken better notes on your um, uh, uh, information. This one was supposed to be a musical, but then the Disney people had different ideas. And so he was trying to hold on or vice the, versa. Vice versa. This, the, the initial plan for this was not for it to be a musical. Right. Okay. And after six months of working on it and getting the first 20 minutes or so animated or animated enough to show Katzenberg at Disney, Katzenberg watched this and was just like, no, this isn't, this isn't what it should be. Okay. So Katzenberg starts pushing for it to be, become a musical feature. And he says, we need to start over. Let's, is, is it a ground up story or is it another like a uh, fairy tale or it's an something? old fairy tale. Okay. It's an okay. old fairy tale. The, the, okay. the, I've never, I've never read the original. I should, I think it'd be interesting. 
Um, okay. But I've, I've never read the original story, but like, you know, most of Disney's animated films are based on fairy tales or short stories or mm-hmm. in some cases, longer stories, but get adapted for the screen and Beauty and the Beast isn't any different. Got it. La Belle La Bette, the French version. That was the yeah. oh, so look at that up when it came. Uh, so that was published in 1740, the original. La Belle et la Bête, fairy tale written by French novelist Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. Bless me, John. How does this movie make you feel? Um, this one, I, it's just so much fun. Like this is when this movie came out, I would have been. I would have been like a couple weeks away from turning 11. And, you know, I think there was a little bit at, at age 11, you're kind of starting, you know, as, as an 11 year old boy, you're kind of starting to get into the realm of, well, I don't want to watch Little Mermaid. That's a girl's movie. Um, and you kind of starting to have a little bit of some of that kind of attitude. And, but, but I mean, I, I still watched Little Mermaid. I still enjoyed it. Um, I think with this one, it just, this one, I think, caters to a broader audience as well like i think i think that was something i think having the you know the the major character of the beast and all the different characters within the castle and gaston and bell i I think you've got a broad range of characters that are going to appeal to boys and girls and adults and kids and and i think that's one of the things that when you pointed out about the new york film festival screening um I think that was one of the other things they discovered there too was even by showing it not only do you have a film that caters to a, a broad range of of audience but showing it in its un- unfinished form you're also showing it as you know a, a piece of artwork I mean you're showing it as this is how we make this this is how we make this movie and you can see the storyboards and you can see the the rough cuts and and everything else and so I think that Knowing that, I mean, obviously I didn't see that when I was a kid, but knowing that now after the fact, I have a lot of appreciation for this movie because I think throughout the entire movie, you can see or you can at least get a sense of the complexity of how much has gone into this. Jeff, exactly the way you put it was Little Mermaid was wow, and this one was wow, like you can yeah. tell they stepped it up a notch for this. Not that Little Mermaid was bad, but they just they had Little Mermaid. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's good, but now let's do something better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I I, just... I I enjoy this movie. It's not one that I would necessarily watch, rewatch regularly. But anytime you know, if, if the kids wanted to put it on or anything like that, I you know I wouldn't be wouldn't be opposed to it. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go ahead and watch it. Yeah, I. I... Between this and, and The Little Mermaid, I think I watch this one more often. Okay. And a lot of it has to do with the, I think, the music. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I feel like it's more fun to sing along to some of these songs mm-hmm. from, from Beauty and the Beast. Um, not that, you know, it's not a knock against the music from Little Mermaid oh, no, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, okay. And also... Um, nothing replaces Lake Wesson in my heart. So the, so this show, the, you know, holds a place in my heart or the movie holds a place in my heart because, um, I've been in the stage production. Mm. 
There you go. So, um, so, you know, I've, I've got that as well. So that's always going to kind of be a you know, hold a little bit more personal meaning to me. Uh, I, I had the, the very fortunate pleasure of playing the role of LeFou when I was, when I was in the show and I got to belt out gas, the song Gaston mm-hmm. and man, that was, I don't know if I've ever had as much fun in a show yeah, or uh, as much fun doing a song because it was just sort of like, go be a human cartoon mm-hmm. and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I, I did a crazy Gaston voice, you know, and, which hurt my throat after a while, but yeah, um, yeah, I, it was just, it was so rich and so fulfilling and so much fun. Um, you know, the stage adaptation really opened up a lot more of the characters and, and a lot more of the story and, and helped explore, um, you know, the depths of, of some of the characters a bit more than uh, what the movie had offered. So, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great stepping stone in the uh, in the tale of Beauty and the Beast, you know, it, it, in the way that this movie has grown and adapted. Um, it, it, you know, it's a great focal point for um, for that overall story, you know. And like I said, I I I've en- I enjoyed it enough that I chose to direct it at school, and I you know we did a student production of, of mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. Um, An excellent years one. Back. An excellent Thank one. you. Yeah. It, I Thank think, you. I think this show was beating the beast. I think was my biggest undertaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the cast was somewhere between 60 and 70 kids um, and cast and crew and everyone all involved all together. I think we landed somewhere around 130 kids mm-hmm. and in a school that at the time housed 700 that was a pretty good percentage of kids to get involved in, in yeah. theater. So yeah. that was, that was really awesome. Um, it's my understanding there would be no math, but that's a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what does all that mean? To me, it's so highly enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I, there isn't, I don't think there's anything about this movie that I watch and I'm just like, um, Mm-hmm. You know, and you know the the add-ons when they added on human again, I wasn't disappointed by that. The add-ons uh, in the um, in the musical wasn't disappointed by any of that. The, you know, the new songs that came out in the musical were fantastic. Um, you know, it wasn't until the live-action one with uh, Emma Watson where I had my moment of oh. But we can talk about that later if we want to. I feel like I'm dominating this conversation right now. So let's find something else to talk about. Well, my wife pointed out when we were talking about this the other day, she pointed out that this is probably the story I've seen the most versions of. Um, because you've got the, you know, you had the live action movie that came out in 2017. Um, you've got, you know, this version of it, the, the 1991 animated version. You've got the stage production. You know, I, I saw yours at school, but then we also saw, we took John. That may have been one of the first things we took him to. I want to say he was a, he was a little guy. He was like maybe four. Um, <clears throat> and College of Lake County over here nearby was doing a stage production of it. And we're like, let's just, let's take him over there to go see it. Cause I think we had just watched the cartoon 
with him not too long before that. And we took him there, and it was funny. I think it, I, that may have been his first show in a theater, um, you know, live action on stage. And I remember his comment, you know, you could see the entire set was out. They had the, the rose under the glass in the middle of the stage. None of the actors had come out yet. They were just turning on some of the spotlights and everything else. And I remember we went in and we sat down, and you could just kind of see things were starting to get set up, and they had started to play the intro music for everything. And he leaned over to us and he goes, I think this is going to be one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly what you want out of the arts. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So that's so yeah, cool. I, between that and between the, uh, the TV version with Linda Hamilton, I think this is probably the one I've seen the most versions of. Yeah. Slightly different. That one's also not a musical. But yeah, no, this uh, such a such a fun movie, and you can see why this is. You know, when they always talk about the beginning of the Disney Renaissance with Little Mermaid and um, and Beauty and the Beast being kind of the the ones that kick that off, uh, you you can tell why the next decade plus of Disney is is on the right track. Right. I've got a question about the preview that we listened to before we started. Uh talking. Yeah. Um, I don't want to hijack it and take this in a conversation or kind of take this conversation in a direction we don't want to go, but uh, is Belt really headstrong? And I'm just, I, I heard that and I was kind of like listening and I'm listening along and, and it was the, we're going to take you to a world of this and da, 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 da. And then Bell's headstrong. And I always thought of headstrong as like a negative thing, right? Like going along with, dude, you're just bullheaded. You're just headstrong. You know, like or you that, won't take any. Is that 1991 slang for female and educated? Yeah. <laughs> and that was like, and I mean, you know, I, I, I'll put my, I'll put my, uh, okay, how's this, how's this going to hold up glasses on? You know what I'm saying? And the movies that I like, I'm perfectly willing to say like, yeah, you know, Mm, this doesn't look so good, but it's fun. And I dug this movie, right? And I mean, all the stuff that I thought I was going to, I'm like, oh no, I'm really angry about that, but I'm supposed to be angry about it. Until we got to that preview and it was just like, is Headstrong an accurate description of Bell? And I mean, I don't know. So don't the, know. the definition of Headstrong, the official definition is self-willed and obstinate. Yeah. I got the self-willed part. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get I didn't get her as obstinate. So I, I think maybe they were trying to lean more into the self-willed mm -hmm. part of that definition. Um I definitely get headstrong from Emma Watson's portrayal. Mm -hmm. more and so more so than I do of the the animated one. Well, and it's funny and I don't want to jump the, I don't want to jump the, the, the conversation, but it was funny because like when I was watching this one, I'm like, man, she is letting Gaston like kind of like go way past the line that I would like someone should have gotten kicked in the shin or somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh my God, like really? And she was just very demure and, and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, eh, you know, and then, and then when I watched a little bit of the Emma Watson one, 
And I only saw a little bit, but it was like suddenly I could see the facial features more. And when Gaston got all swarmy and he was kind of like, she was pushing him off. The look on her face was like, dude, what is with that guy? He is a complete jerk, you know, which I kind of enjoyed more because that's, I wanted a little bit more pushback. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, So I noticed those things. I got to watch the rest of it to see how that plays out with the rest of it. So then I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. And then I got that. I got that uh, trailer and it was like, Belle is headstrong. Okay, maybe she's just in a backwards town that like doesn't know how to get out of its own way because all those peoples that were bonjour were the same ones going the pitchfork and getting her dad carted off, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know. And I didn't even think of it till I heard you play the trailer that night. I'm like, I don't think headstrong is an accurate description of Belle. Well, it's, it's, it was interesting. There was an article, and um, Linda Wolverton, the screenplay writer, was yeah. was in this article, and she was talking about um, kind of the making of this movie and the writing of this movie. And one of the things that she brought up, she's like, yeah, when I wrote this, um, one of the things that we ran up against was I wrote a I wrote some different scenes in which it showed off her her education, and it showed off you know, what her dreams were and things like that. And she said, you know, one of the scenes in particular that I wrote is when her, when she's waiting for her dad to return, that she's in the house and she's placing push pins on a map for all the places that she wants to go, you know, travel to and visit someday. And she mm-hmm. said, when I got the, uh, when we got the storyboards back, they had changed it so that she's baking a cake. <laughs> ah. There you like, go. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what I wrote. That's not what this character is. Don't, yeah. don't treat her that way. Like she, she's, she's educated and she has these dreams and she's, she's not sitting at home baking a cake. She's thinking about traveling and she's thinking about all these stories she's read in her books. And um, yeah. So, I mean, I would, I, I think if you, if you're going to take the word headstrong, I think you'd have to lean more towards the, you know, she's, she's got a strong will about her and she's got a, a, pretty decent sense of who she is as a person yeah Did you say that she's the hero of this movie yes or is she is she the damsel in distress no she's the hero yeah i don't see her as a damsel because she's fighting off the wolves yeah the beast is the damsel in distress because i'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to think of the traditional archetypes for a fairy tale uh-huh. and while the hero so it it you know it's interesting because her character is the hero so should be following more of the the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they because it's female because she's female they treat her more of the dams like the damsel in distress. So So, so what am I saying? What am I trying to say? How, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. She should have killed Gaston. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. Um, no, so like it, if they want to treat her with the more traditional female fairy tale character archetypes, then yeah, she would be baking the cake. She wouldn't be thinking about traveling and all these lofty things. So it's like they tried to put the traditional fairy tale element on her um, because she's a female character. But if we look at the actual story and we start, you know, looking at the character archetypes, 
she falls into the hero category. So a hero would have, hmm, a hero wouldn't have, a hero wouldn't have those goals either. Right. Cause that, cause having somebody who wants, to, oh, well, a hero has something they want. Right. Yeah. I would say, John, let's dissect this. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think, you know, I think you're probably the, best equipped to discuss hero's journey. I know, you know, a little bit, we, I teach a, a little bit in one of my classes, but um, I'm trying to think because the hero has to go through, you know, go through the trials and everything. So you before see- they start getting the idea of wanting something more. The hero character doesn't typically want something more. They go on that adventure because they have to. Right. So you, you, you're right, because you're going to start off with a call to adventure. Like, that's always the beginning of that hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of times you have some kind of supernatural help, um, you know, which in this, it's kind of a mixture of stuff in this one because that, that supernatural help, you know, a lot of, like in Star Wars, it's, you know, the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the wizard, um, that is your kind of your supernatural help that starts off the hero's journey in that one. In this one, um, you know, maybe it's when she goes to track down her father and, um, you know, the fact that the all the servants in the house will help her out as opposed to sending her away, um, you know, that could be part of it. Yeah, because then as you go on the rest of that journey, it's, you know, as you continue on, you've got like the the first round of, the, the what do they call it the threshold guardian is like the the first obstacle that the hero has to overcome and I'm trying to think what that would be in this story um well probably just even like finding the castle dealing with the beast the original instance that she's dealing with the beast um and you have a bunch of different helpers along the way that could be the people that are in the that could be the servants that are in the castle nobody else is really helping her out Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think how that fits with the rest of. So, I, so, so she's kind of, it's, it's really strange Yeah, because she's, she's kind of the hero, but they don't quite give her all the things that the hero in a story should have. Mm-hmm. And they replace a lot of it with what the typical, and I'll use, you know, air quotes for that typical female character, the damsel in distress character Mm -hmm. would have. Yeah. Well, now I really want to read the original story and get a sense of the character based on how the author intended her to be. Yeah. Because, you know, the screenwriter, while this, you know, having thoughts of, um, you know, bell being, this adventurer and having this longing to do so much more. Um, and I'm curious as to how that fits with the original concept of the character. Yeah. Or is that something that she added when she got her hands on the opportunity to write the screenplay? Because you really get, because yes, it would make sense with the way this movie is structured and the way that the the way that Belle is a lot of times our focus in the movie is you would get that she is the hero 
and she is kind of the one, you know, with her dad getting trapped in the castle and everything else. She's kind of the one that starts off on that whole call to adventure. But as you get further on into what would be the hero's journey, it really shifts to the beast mm-hmm. because it's not Belle that's really, Belle doesn't really change. I don't feel like in this movie, she doesn't go through because in the, in that hero's journey, you've got kind of, you start on the adventure and then you, you meet up with some different helpers. You probably have this first obstacle you have to get past there are usually some trials going on. You're you're learning new skills or you're gaining weaponry or or armament that you would need later on or whatever the case might be. Then there's usually some kind of, like in the middle of the whole thing, there's some kind of like death and rebirth or there's some like major event that happens. And then usually there's like some secrets that are revealed. There is either a, a level of atonement or you're making up for past sins or something like that and then that's when you kind of shift back to the end of the whole thing and it's um you know you've changed you're a different person than um than you were before and you're coming back to kind of where you first started but you're now a new person that's kind of the hero's journey but then that's that's where it gets all jumbled up because it starts with bell and then partway through that it really shifts to the beast because She's not changing. She's the one, you know, he changes. He's going through learning the new skills or relearning skills of how to read, how to eat, how to be around people, how not to be a jerk, um, you know, stuff like that. And he's going through the atonement and he's going through all these steps. So it's it's kind of, it's a little jumbled. Yeah. So interestingly enough, though, in one of the productions or iterations of the Broadway musical, a song was added for Belle to sing, and it's a song called A Change in Me. Mm. And I just, I pulled it up because I want to look at the lyrics to see if specifically it mentions what exactly she thinks has changed about her. Um, You know, she's singing about, uh, she, you know, she recognizes who she was. Here, I think I found a version of it. Uh, this one is sung by Susan Egan. It says a change in me from Beauty and the Beast. So Su- Susan Egan played Belle in the in the original Broadway cast. Okay. So they did get her uh, to uh, record a version of this song. I believe this song was put into the show when Brandy played Belle. Okay. Um, but they did get Susan Egan to record a version, and it's a beautiful song. I really like it. But go ahead. I don't mind. 
Gorgeous song, but I'm confused. What childhood dreams that we've seen is she leaving behind? Well, that's what, as I'm looking at the lyrics here, I'm like, yeah, but I don't, in the, in, at least in the animated version, the one we watched, yeah. like, I don't feel like any of the dreams, when she's singing in the beginning about, you know, the this little town and the books that she loves and we're learning about her as a person, I don't know that I see any of those as childhood dreams. And maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking through it too much and mixing stage version and and cartoon version, but um, yeah, I don't see those as being childhood dreams. I see those as being the dreams of a person who knows herself, knows what she likes, knows what she wants, and is confident. And and if we want to use the word headstrong, um, no, no, we don't. No, we, we just don't? want okay. to tell the townspeople to shut up. All right, we'll just say confident then. <laughs> Pat, I got Pat. Don't mince words. How do you really feel? Well, and I just also want to go on the record of saying, hey, you know what? Like people, because I can't and I have tried, I can't bake a cake. I can't bake a cake. And there's some people in my family that are really, really good at baking the things they can do with cakes. And I mean, it's amazing. It's mind blowing. And I've got some very dear friends that like can bake so well, uh, people that we know. And it's like, I mean, I, I would be having probably the worst week of my life. And then all of a sudden they're coming in with, I just made you muffins or cookies. And, and they're trying like, here's, and I mean, they are so good at it. So I'm not saying that baking, like if that's what they want to do and that's what they're, you know, and if that's their life goal, cool. My thing that I'm going to bump on and that story that you said is that that wasn't what the character was supposed to be. And then Disney sent it back or I'm sorry, I don't know if it was Disney or whoever the heck sent it back and said, yeah, that's great that she wants to travel the world and see the thing and all that. Yeah, she's going to bake a cake. Do you know what I'm saying? That's it's like because the implication is that as a female character, that's all you can do. And it's like, OK, why should we assume that just because you're female, you can bake? And like, that's the thing I'm bumping on. Not the fact that like baking a cake, like I wish I could bake. Okay. I'm learning. I'm not patient enough. It's like Harry Potter and potions. I just get too impatient and I mess the thing up. Um, well, and it's, it's like, you know, it, it was like you said, that's a beautiful song. And I, and, and that's, yeah. I'm not, I'm not as well versed in the stage versions to really know the differences and I, know the songs, but I, a beautiful song. But as I'm looking at those lyrics, I'm like, I, that to me, at least, the way I understand her character in, and I'm and I'm basing this off of the 1991 animated movie that we just watched. What right. I understand of her as her character, I don't see her. I don't see her giving up dreams. I don't see her. To me, she doesn't really change all that much in the cartoon version, and I don't. I don't know that I have too much of a problem with that because she was a pretty well-rounded person to begin with. Yeah, she was almost also, a, she was almost a complete person to begin with. I, I don't know that she I don't know that I can tell that she really learned anything. She she learned to love someone who seemed to be unlovable, but she kind of was that nice person that might have done that anyway. Um, you know, regardless of having met the beast, I really think it's him that did all the changing in this movie. So a couple of points to bring up. One, I was mistaken. It wasn't Brandy. Brandy was in. Cinderella, the oh, live action Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, Tony Braxton who joined mm. the cast and the song was written specifically for Tony Braxton. Okay. Now to put this song into context with the story, this is a song that the character of Belle sings 
to her father after they've been reunited, after she's left the beast's castle. Okay. And, and it's meant to have her show her dad that she's kind of matured and she's kind of grown up a little bit. She's not as, she's not as childish as she was before she had spent time in the castle. Mm -hmm. Her head is a little Mm. less in the clouds. Yeah. She's kind of grown up a little bit, Mm kind of gotten a sense for how some people really are. Um, And she's, you know, so she's kind of learned a bit about herself in the process. I think that's kind of what the song was going at. And she has to, and she has to prove it to her dad. Because dad's too blind to see that she's been taking care of him. Speaking of being an adult, and maybe dad should have stepped up and said, hey, you know, that Gaston's a jerk. You should avoid him. But that's okay. She has, she, has, she owes it to her dad. I get it. <laughs> he, is, he is salty tonight. <laughs> no, man, I get, I get what yeah. you're saying. I get what you're saying. I, I didn't put this, the, the song in the show. I mean, what I hated in the live action version in 2017 is when Bruce Lee came in during that final fight scene. It was just, it was terrible. It was, it all looked fake. And it was, oh man. Oh man. And, and, and why did Indiana Jones need to save the townspeople? Oh, there we go. Now, now I'm just messing with, now I'm right. just messing now, with you. Now you're, just, now you're just trying to pick a fight. You want to go back to, should we go back and talk? Uh, temp- Let's talk oh. Temple of Doom. Oh, the, the gauntlet, Jeff. the gauntlet has been thrown down and it looks to be a white glove. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't respond. Jeff, did you mute me? Uh, no, I, I, well, you know what? No, but in, in all seriousness, and I'm, I'm, you know, just being a jerk, but, um, in all seriousness about Tale that, I really, time. <laughs> and you do it so well. I, I have, I have, you know, I, uh, I had something, but it wasn't going to be funny. Well, I'm curious with the stage version, cause I've seen the stage version. Cause I mean, you, well, and, and I saw you guys do it, but I'm interested right, in the, the stage version. The song wasn't in the, uh, okay. the, the version that I had. Did, did you do like uh, Beauty and the Beast Junior? Or because yeah. I okay, yeah, so, yeah, we we did the Junior version, so the, it had a lot of things that were cut out of it, compared right? To the it, how is her relationship with her dad in that? Because in all fairness, um, that could be a theme too, you know. And I mean that tale as old as time, you know. She's taking care of her dad, and she wants to see the world, but dad doesn't want to maybe let go of the comfort because you know what happened to do you know what i'm saying like that's that's a very relevant that's is that an aspect or no the relationship between the two of them is two peas in a pod okay that's that's how dad kind of views them and he's very much rose-colored glasses for her benefit okay um you know there isn't anything he wouldn't do for her um so what would necessitate the song? Like she's trying to convince him of something, but at least. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the, the, yeah. the, the actual scene and, and how this song fit into the scene. I'd, and I'll say it just in, in this challenging her in some way to where she yeah. does need to explain that, you know, her time in the castle wasn't a negative thing, even though his time in the castle was highly negative. Okay. You know, because it's, 
Cause it's like, honestly, like I was thinking like partway through this, like, dude, why don't you just move to the castle? It's got that really wicked, awesome looking library that I'd be kind of scared going up on the tall ladders to get the high book. But it's like, I think dad would be happy. Set dad up in a room and let him invent in the, you know, like I, you know, obviously he and the beast fought, but, but even in this one, like it seemed like they all moved into the castle and would have been happy. So that's, that's the part that I was getting with that song. And I was being, you know, kind of silly with the, well, why can't dad see that? You know, it's like, I didn't see that presented. I'd be interested just to see where the plot line was. So here's, I'm, I'm going to read you something from Wikipedia. I, I decided to look this up and see what they said. Are you um, looking in the context and composition I'm section? looking in the context and composition. That's exactly where I'm that, looking right now. Looking? Okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm actually, I, may just, I may just read this paragraph because it, it does tell a little bit behind, kind of behind the scenes story of why the song was written and, and what the context is. A Change in Me is considered to be among the musical's original songs that both advance its storyline and provide character development. A Change in Me specifically allows Belle to further explore and elaborate on her newfound feelings for the Beast, adding dimension to their relationship. The song also further empowers Belle, expanding upon her dimension as a character. Appearing during the show's second act, the ballad is performed by Belle to indicate that her feelings towards the Beast have softened. Delivered simply, she explains to her father, Maurice, that she no longer longs for the things she had wished, wished for in uh, earlier in Act One's Bell reprise, uh, revealing just how much her time spent in Beast Castle has transformed both her identity and perspective. Bell claims that she has evolved into a better person as a result of having gotten to know and ultimately fallen in love with the Beast, the same individual she once viewed with abhorrence and dread. Got it. Got it. So interesting. Yeah, because I'm I'm because in the reprise she talks about how she um I think some of the lyrics of the reprise are like that that she that she is longing for something more than being in her town. She she's longing for adventure. Um she wants more than the provincial life that she is experiencing on a daily basis. So those lyrics do pop up in the reprise. So I think this song then is very much her saying, you know, that's not important as important to me as I thought it might be now that I've experienced a, a true connection to somebody else mm-hmm. and using that moment in the show then to try to explain that to her dad, that, her time with the beast has kind of softened her ambition for conquering the world. And that's not as, uh, not as much a, um, a focus for her anymore. So it does make sense when you pair it with the, uh, the reprise. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the dad's like, you had all these dreams. Is this really what you want to, although the beast seems to be pretty well off. Like, I mean, I mean, they could probably go see the world. You know what I'm saying? She's probably going to see a better world with the beast dude than with Gaston. Guy can't be that well off. He only transformed like 10 years ago and nobody seems to remember that he exists. Yeah. That's part of the enchantment. Is that is that part of the enchanted curse that's on the castle? That that's always that that I read that somewhere that part of the curse 
you know, in like, cause people are like, what's well, a huge plot hole? How yeah. do they not know that there's that's, a huge castle? That's what I always assumed because nobody seems to, like all the street signs, all those signs in the forest are kind of scratched off. And you would think if this is massive castle in the middle of the forest, not that far away from the town that somebody would know about it. Um, so yeah, it's, no. I don't remember where I read it, but mm-hmm. somewhere I read that, um, or at least one interpretation is that part of the enchantment is that the townspeople have forgotten about the castle and about the prince. Um, and it's because Belle and her dad are not from the town yeah. that they are not, they, they don't know to go looking for it, which is why they've never come across it. Mm-hmm. But the townspeople not, have never talked about it. Yeah. I one a couple of the other things kind of along those lines um a couple of the other things in here that I had either through the IMDb kind of trivia section or you know a couple other bits and pieces here and there um the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting and I had never really thought about was they talk about in the prologue that the rose is going to bloom until the prince turns 21 and then in one of the other songs I think Lumiere or somebody else says 10 years we've been rusting so people have like backtracked that and they're like, so wait a minute. So this guy got cursed when he was 11. Cause if the rose is about to finish blooming and he's 21 and they've been rusting for 10 years, that means this old lady cursed him when he was 11 years old. Have you met a fifth grader? I mean, you're not going to expect that a fifth grader is going to cop an attitude. If you try to hand him a flower or try to be nice to him or I'm like, Teen angst, friends. You know, like let's let's not lose our temper too much on an eleven year old kid. But um, you know that that I think was just something kind of funny. That's right. That, that's where I have to remind myself. Like it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Stop putting real world synopses right into a fairy tale because otherwise it's not a fairy tale anymore. Right. Right. But yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. I, I saw a bunch of different things online. They're like, wow, that's that's pretty harsh to punish an 11-year-old kid. That, you know, curse him for life that uh, he just wasn't nice to you when he answered the door. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought was kind of funny about this um, as I was looking into some of the trivia on it is that the actress and writer who was kind of the the physical model for drawing Belle, and she had also been the model for Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Um, her name is Sherry Stoner. And um, when I, I was like, I, I clicked on a couple things, saw a picture of her. I was like, wait a minute, she looks really familiar. Well, and, and Dennis would appreciate this one. Um, our family went through several years ago, and they had read, Sharon and the kids had read through all of the Little House on the Prairie books. And then we went through and watched all of the episodes of Little House on the Prairie. Uh, we got all the DVDs and, and watched all those. So Sherry Stoner, the person who is the physical model that they based uh, Belle and Ariel off of, she was a character in the ninth season of Little House on the Prairie and married one of the kids of one of the major characters, grown-up kids of one of the major characters. So Little House on the Prairie, she was in that. But she was also, if you guys ever watch Animaniacs, she was Slappy, oh, yeah. she was Slappy the Squirrel in the Animaniacs. <laughs> so I brought nice. this up I brought this up to Nora, and Nora goes, well, that's certainly a career to go from Little House on the Prairie to Belle to Slappy the Squirrel. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. That's, that, that's Hollywood. That, that is a career. 
That's the hero's journey right there. There you go. Yeah, I just I I just did a Google search, um, and there's some side by side pictures of her, and then um, some of her animated characters. Yeah, and it's like, it's it's cool, but it's a little weird. Yeah, well, and they, I was reading somewhere else that particularly for the Little Mermaid, a lot of her mannerisms they built into animating the character. They said she used to bite her lip a lot. And she used to like fiddle with her hair a lot, and they're like, "Well, that's that's an interesting character quirk. Let's just build that into Ariel. Like Ariel, you know, is biting her lip all the time, and you know, she's fiddling with her mm-hmm. hair, and um, so like, oh, we'll just we'll make that part of the character." I mean, that's not out of the realm of, of animation. Disney's right. done that for a lot of their movies. Is they bring live action, um, you know, they'll bring live people into a studio, and they'll have uh, animators sit around at different parts of the studio and at different levels. And from your point of view, draw some sketches of the movement that you see this character doing. Mm-hmm. So you have that as a frame of reference. When you go to animate the movie, you have a whole library then of, of how that character might look from a specific angle. If that's how it needs to be animated. Yeah. But the, the, the similarities between uh, the, on the little mermaid ones that I see are, Again, cool, but like a little unnerving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, before we wrap up here in just a little bit, I wanted to do, I wanted to go through and I wanted to kind of take a look at a few more of the different songs that are in the movie. Now, we kind of mentioned the Gaston yes. song a little bit. Let me see if I can pull that up here. For Love us. it. Love it. Who does she think she feel, is? Feel free to sing your parts, Jeff. With the wrong man. No one says no to Gaston. <laughs> Done right. Dismissed. Rejected. Publicly humiliated. Why, it's more than I can bear. Uh, more beer? What more for? beer? <laughs> Nothing helps. I'm disgraced. Who, you? Never. Never. Gaston? Gaston? You've got to pull you gotta yourself, pull yourself together. together. Gosh, it disturbs me to see Gaston. Gaston. Looking so down in the dumps. Every guy here'd love to be you, Gaston, even when taking your lumps. There's no man in town as admired as you. You're everyone's favorite guy. Everyone's awed and inspired by you. And it's not very hard to see why. No one's no one's quick as Gaston. No one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston. For there's no man in town. All right, I, I would like to challenge that point and say I can I can find several people whose necks are as thick as Gaston. I mean, maybe not as muscular, but I I, 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 could, I, I can definitely give him a run for his money in the thickness department there. <laughs> So yeah, so this is just, this is one of those this is one of those fun songs, um, just yeah, it, it it's a hoot. So many so many little jokes built into all the lyrics too. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I was in the show, we were double cast, and there was someone else that played the character, and he and I switched off. Okay. And it was strange because he and I had different interpretations of some of the lines. Interesting. Um, yeah, like it was just, and I remember going to the director and being like, 
Okay. So does it bother you that we're doing this differently? Do you want, you know, do, do you want it the same for consistency's sake? Cause, cause the other guy that was playing the character was my younger by about, I don't know, at least 10 years, maybe a little bit more than 10 years. Um, so maybe it was more my life experience had, had me looking at the lines differently than he was looking at them. Um, but I remember going to the director being like, I, I, are you on board with this? Are you okay with the fact that we're reading this in two different ways? She's like, no, I think it's great. Keeps it interesting. Yeah. There you go. You, you, it, it's part of you putting yourself into the character. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll, okay. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> So with this next song, my understanding of this one is that um, Angela Lansbury, like the directors, wanted her to record the song Beauty and the Beast, a tale as old as time. Um, and she was, I guess she was like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not the best person to be singing this. And they're like, well, just, just humor us. Just record one for us. And, you know, that was, I think, the understanding, at least from Angela Lansbury's point of view was this was not going to end up getting used in the movie. Um, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, no, no, this is, this is the best version. So we're going to put this in the movie. As old as time True as it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bends Unexpectedly Just a little change So anyway, obviously this one in the very well-known scene where Belle is in her yellow dress and um, Beast My is, favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. That scene is just absolutely beautiful. And that's where they use that computer animation. That's they use that, 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 that uh, caps that they used with yeah. Down Under. Yeah. You know, and just you, you get that really amazing sweeping camera movement mm-hmm. all throughout the ballroom. Yeah. And the, the animation is so crisp and clear. Um, beautiful animation you know and just beautiful having it underscored with mrs potts singing beauty and the beast it's it's perfect it's it's a perfect scene yeah it's a perfect scene there's nothing about that scene that i would ever even think of trying to do differently no no it's such an iconic part of the movie and that's i mean you could show you could show like a half second blip of that scene and, and everybody's gonna know exactly what it's from Katie made an interesting point about that song earlier today. We were talking about it and she said it's, she struggles. Like sometimes she forgets that that song is only 30 years old Hmm. because Uh there's something about that piece of music. And I think what she was getting at and, you know, I don't speak for my wife. I think this is what she was trying to say though, was that it's like something about the way that it's composed that there's a very classic element to it. And it seems as though, 
that's a song that's just been around forever. Yeah. And not in like, uh, and you know, been around forever in the most respectful way that a song could be around forever. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it, like, yeah, there, you know, she's right. There, there is something genuinely classic about that song that gives it that feel. Mm-hmm. So like the song really, really the song only came out in 91. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? Like, and Angela Lansbury is just perfect yeah. with it. Yeah. It does. I mean, it, it sounds like it should be, it sounds like it should possibly be from the forties or the fifties or, you know, even at the very least it, it, it has to me, it always had a little bit of a vibe of some of the, um, Oh gosh, what's the singer's name from Pete's Dragon? Helen Reddy, I think was her name. Yes, it, it, it has a little bit of that kind of vibe, and that's from the seventies. I mean, that's twenty years earlier. Um, I think you know, some of the melody to it, it 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 always reminded me a little bit of that as well. Yeah. So I I, I would agree, it does sound like it should be a much older song. And maybe, and you know, and that, and not a knock on Angela Lansbury at all, but maybe it's because she is older and she has a much more older voice at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, you know, that could be doing something when you hear it, and you just something in your mind it. it triggers that connection yeah um can i can i pull back the curtain a little bit on my production of when i i directed this show do it so casting a show can be incredibly difficult especially in middle school especially in middle school (laughs) yes um and there are elements of a of certain shows that you need to have perfect so when it came to casting Beauty and the Beast, while a lot of characters I needed to be really good and talented students, which I had. I loved my cast. My cast did an amazing job. But it was in casting Mrs. Potts that I was the most concerned because I knew Mrs. (laughs) Potts had to deliver Beauty and the Beast. I needed to cast somebody whose voice would do this song justice. And the, the young lady who I cast to play the role, I know is disappointed because she had wanted to be Belle. Um, so if you're listening, I'm not going to say your name. Um, if you happen to be listening to this someday, just know that you would have been an incredible Belle. But you were my only my only choice that could do justice to singing beauty and the beast. And she did a phenomenal job with the song and it was everything and more than I was, that I was hoping it would be Yeah, that it's a very special song in the pantheon of um, just musical storytelling, you know, and it's one of those really rare moments when it's one song and it's a side character but if this song isn't done right and if this song isn't done well, man, that's going to reflect on everything else about your production. Yeah. So to the young lady that, that did this song for me, for my show, if you, you, you knocked it out of the park and that's why you weren't bell is because I didn't know if I could trust anyone else to do what you did with this song. So there we go. Yeah. There it is. That's that's kind of like I always think of um, 
with Les Mis. I mean, that's I, I've probably mentioned on here before. That's one of my favorite musicals. And I always feel like you've got such strong characters. The obvious strong characters are Javert, Valjean. But then of all the different times I've seen it, whether a film version, whether a stage version, I always feel like the one character they absolutely have to get right is Eponine. Is if you mm-hmm. don't, I mean, that character is such a, I mean, her songs are so dramatic and they're so emotional mm-hmm. That yes, you've got to have a, a Javert with a strong, authoritative voice. You've got to have a Valjean that's got a really great voice. But I feel like it's those side characters sometimes that if you don't get if you don't get a Mrs. Potts right, I mean that's part of the heart of the whole musical. Same with Eponine and Les Mis. She's part of the yeah. heart of the whole musical. If you don't get that heart right, then something just feels off about it. So yeah. no, I, I, I mean I would agree with you. You you have to get an Eponine to who has an ability to showcase a very, very wide range of emotion yeah. without being caricature. Right. You know, and, and, and again, and it's one of those things, you know, I've only directed a handful of shows and, you know, they've been, you know, I, I've worked mostly directing school shows. I, you know, I, I, I assistant directed some shows uh, for professional theater, but you know, it's, it's, Casting is a very tricky thing and, you know, it's, it's, you have to look at the whole cast and, and know what you need out of your cast before you start looking at people. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Potts is one of those characters because Mrs. Potts has the responsibility of singing Beauty and the Beast. You, you have to find that voice yeah. that can do that. So, I don't know, it's, like I said, favorite scene for a lot of reasons, and a lot of it for me is is because of that song. Yeah, that yeah. The, you know the characters aren't talking to each other; they're saying so much to each other, but they're not talking to each other. And it's just it's handled it's handled so well. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, let's move on. All right, now the, the the last one I was going to mention, and if you guys have other ones, we can. Is is I totally skipped over it because it's earlier on in the movie. Is um, and this one is it's one of those fun songs. It kind of reminds me of how much, as a kid and even to an adult, how much I enjoy a song like Les Poissons in <laughs> in uh, Little Mermaid. Just it's so funny and it's so much fun that I mean it's I think Be Our Guest is one of those other songs that it's just. It's a party, and it's just so much fun to listen to. Ma chère mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now, we invite you to relax, let us pull up a chair, as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. (laughs) Be our guest be our guest put our service to the test tie your napkin round your neck sherry and we provide the rest soup du jour hot order why we only live to serve try the gray stuff it's delicious don't believe me ask the dishes they can sing they can dance after all miss this is france and a dinner here is never second best Go on, unfold your menu, take a glance, and then you'll be our guest. We our guest, be our guest. Be frank, cheese souffle, I am for 
So I don't I don't yeah, know that, if I don't it's a that fun song. A fun time. Oh it's it's a fun time. It's a party and it's all about food. So it's already gonna to appeal to me in many ways. Mm-hmm. And the 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 late Jerry Orbach. I mean, man, what a terrific job he did. Yeah. As as Lumiere. But just you know a song like that, you know, it, it's a showstopper. Yeah. It, that song is a showstopper. I, the first time I found out that the Law and Order guy was also Lumiere, I'm like, wait, no, you're kidding. <laughs> That's so, I mean, he actually has a very strong Broadway background. Yeah. So the fact that you have someone like him and um, Angela Lansbury in a movie, in an animated movie, providing the voices, again, this goes back, right back to the beginning of the podcast but that, that Pat was talking about, how it seems very more Broadway than it does animated movie. Look at the cast you're putting together. You're drawing people that have that background of performing for that live audience on stage. And while, you know, you're not, you know, of course you're not performing it live all the time, but as you're putting your all into the work, you carry that ethic with you. Yeah. on YouTube and I th- and a couple of uh, documentaries on uh, Disney Plus, you can see footage of recording sessions oh, nice. from oh, Beauty nice. and the Beast. That'd be fun. And, and it talk and, and you see side and two booths side by side with a live orchestra there. Two booths side by side. You have Angela Lansbury and Jerry Orbach recording this song. That would and be cool. Like, you're just sort of sitting there going, "Wow, yeah, yeah. that's incredible." That's cool. Do you guys know he graduated from Waukegan High School? Yeah, he was local. Yeah. He was a local guy. Well, he's born. I think he was born in New York, but there was a stretch of time his family moved mm-hmm. uh, moved here to the Chicago area. And, um, yeah, I found an article from when, after he had passed away, I guess his drama teacher was still alive, and she was quoted as saying, you know, I... You know, I, I, I'm so happy I pushed him. He didn't want to or he didn't think he could go into a career that involved acting, uh, you know, whether stage or television or anything else. And I, I pushed him to do that. When he graduated, you know, I, I helped him get a summer job at a, a theater camp in Wheeling, Illinois. Um, and then from there, he went on to, to do all the stuff that he's done. And, and I was like, OK, that, that, that's really cool. Like I knew he had gone to Waukegan High School. I didn't know that. You know, he had also done some other stuff around here locally, but. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, before we start to wrap up, before we get to our three questions, everything else, is there any other music you guys want to talk about or. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, (laughs) I I agree with Jeff. I came out of the gate talking about music and you were kind enough to play those tunes. So I think I'm good. I do have to say, I was a little, you know, we, we, we haven't talked too much about other versions of this. Um, and I know there was the 2017 live action one. Um, I will, I'm going to, I'm going to say it right now. One of my favorite versions of this story, cause I get such a laugh out of it is the Saturday night live sketch <laughs> that I absolutely love. Yes. In fact, the, the funny thing is anytime, uh, sadly, anytime I hear tale as old as time, I think about that one. Because I think about is it uh, is Gerard Butler is the beast, and when he gets himself into a bit of an awkward situation, he's like, uh, anyway, yeah. So this tale is oldest. He like using it to try to like get out of the 
That's funny. Conversation he's stuck in. That's funny. I can't wait until your transformation. Wait, what? My, what do you mean my transformation? You know, you can stop being such a beast. Wait, you think Beauty. I'm the beast? <laughs> yeah, we were just singing about it. Beauty and the beast. Um, Beauty I'm and the beast. the beast. Although if anyone else called you beast, I'd rip their lungs out. Yes. <laughs> you think Jeff, I'm the beast? Oh, this, <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> Jeff, did you go through and explain kind of your feelings on the... Uh, 2017 live action. I, I was going to ask you, what's your, what was your moment? I know you've said this before, but I can't remember. What was your moment of, eh, from the 2017 one? Um, so part of it was the music. Hmm. And that's because I was really hoping that they would draw more music from the Broadway show. And instead they use a lot of the melodies from the Broadway show as underscoring. And I get, so I, okay. So I understand that a movie like that, yes, you want to write a new song. You want to feature a new song so you can drop it or, or have those moments for uh, award nominations and hopefully award wins. Right. That's, you know, that's why when the Les Mis movie came out, they wrote a new song just for the movie. Same thing with Beauty and the Beast. They wrote new music just for the live action. And I was disappointed that they didn't pull more songs from the from the stage show because the stage show does have so much great music um, that could have really fit. Um, so that, I mean, so that was part of it. Um, there are other like character portrayals that I, I bumped on a little bit. Um, like Emma Watson is a very talented actress, but I just don't think that she showcased the joy of the character of Belle. I think she definitely showcased the, the, the character trait of being a strong, confident individual but i just didn't get a lot of happiness mm. out of her portrayal of the character mm. okay i could see that um, yeah. and then i felt like the scope felt very tight the village felt very small and confined um gaston's tavern felt very small and confined um so stuff like that bugged me a little bit too. Okay. So Understood. That's all. that's all I got. All right. All right. I think it's time for three questions. I think so. Let's do it. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. 
Three question. Question number one. What is your favorite movie where a hostage falls in love with their captor? Or you can even substitute falls in love with maybe like befriends or something like that. I I have to admit that nothing came to mind. I kind of had to do a, a search to get a list of movies in which this is a, a, a thematic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and of that list, there were, there were some on there. I was like, Oh no, that works. Okay. No, that works. Yeah. So like V for Vendetta, I think would be mm-hmm. towards the top of my list. That one's mine. <laughs> um, and strangely enough, one of, Katie's family's favorites, the movie Overboard mm. with Kurt Russell and uh, Goldie Hawn. Okay. Yeah. Kind of falls into that category as yeah. well. And of course, this one for sure, Beauty and the Beast for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those are probably three of the ones that stand out to me as being in this category and movies in this category that I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Pat? I had V for Vendetta. I didn't go as far as, as looking up the list. I'm like, I've been racking my brain. Like, is there another one I can think of? But I got V for Vendetta. Okay. That's what I've got. Um, let's see. There were a V for Vendetta was going to be mine, mm-hmm. most likely. Um, I, you know, there were a couple of kind of runners up that as I was, considering these um one of the i don't know if you guys have seen this one or not uh tucker and dale versus evil no that's a fun one yeah it's it's basically it's a story these two guys are kind of uh for lack of a better term they're hillbillies tucker and dale (laughs) and uh alan tudyk is one of them and they are you know out in their mountain cabin and a group of like college kids is you know out in the woods and um just kind of like they're on spring break or something and for some reason these and it's kind of a stupid funny comedy movie these college kids assume that these two hillbilly guys for some reason are like these backwards inbred murderers and Mm -hmm. it actually ends up like the college kids end up starting to get injured or they they end up dying because they, they assume that these guys are going to kill them and they get themselves into situations where they end up accidentally killing themselves. But then that perpetuates the rest of the college kids thinking, well, my friend just got killed by these two guys. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's a funny murder comedy of errors, I guess. But one of the college kids, she, she gets injured and they take her into the cabin to, you know, help her out and to, you know, get her bandaged up and everything else. And she kind of is the only one that realizes these guys aren't so bad. Huh. So that one's kind of funny. There's um, there's the Charlie Sheen, Christy Swanson classic, The Chase from 1994. That movie, yeah. That movie's awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about this one, Patrick? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That's an awesome one. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome one. There it is, Jeffrey. I think you just won the podcast. That's Actually, the- you won the podcast with your... Um, your history of the Disney movies, but no crouching tiger. Oh man. I have not seen that movie in forever. It's been too long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I haven't watched it in a long time, but it popped up on the list that I was looking at. When I first started, I still don't have a 4k TV, but I do have the 4k Blu-ray player. That was one of the first, my, my steel book edition was one of the first ones I bought when I started buying 4k discs. 
Yeah. I have not watched it yet, and I, I want to I want to get the 4K TV so I can actually watch it in true 4K, but no, that's that's a good one. Yes, it is. All right, what is seven, your favorite seven crazy? Seven Brides for oh, Seven Brothers is on that list, too. That's a good one, too. Eh, not really. <laughs> in, in terms <laughs> okay. of musical theater, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers isn't the greatest offering that yeah. musical theater has ever offered. No, uh, you th- then it would be called the Blues Brothers. Nobody's, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Um, nobody's Ooh, go. King Kong. King Kong. King Kong. Oh, yeah. King Kong. That's yeah. The, the original, the classic. The Phantom of the Opera is another one. Yep. Yeah. Oh, King, why didn't I think of Phantom? King Kong's, King Kong's probably one of the best ones, though. Yeah. Well, now I want to watch King Kong and I Phantom. Know. I know. Oh, why did I not think of that one? Oh, 12 Monkeys. I don't know why I didn't think of 12 Monkeys. I love that movie. Okay. Anyway, we could be here all night, but. We should be here all night. We should be here. We, right. That's, we have been here all we, night. We have been. Right. When will then be now? Yesterday. Okay. Uh, number two, what's your favorite crazy invention in a movie? The DeLorean time machine from Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. you grabbed that one from yep, me. That was also mine. <laughs> a proton pack could probably be right up there. There's another good yeah. one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I might also go with uh, Ash's alterations to his car in Army of Darkness. <laughs> or his alterations to his arm. Or to his hand, yeah. Groovy. I also, I'm also super excited. I did order because when we we've got Evil Dead coming up as one of our uh, Patreon movies, and I was like, I don't own a copy of Evil Dead. There's something very, very wrong with that. So I also just ordered and, and just got in copies of 4K copies of Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, and I heard <laughs> they're coming out with a 4K copy of Army of Darkness later this year. So oh. I know where my money's going. So Patreon subscribers, right now your mo- your your money's <laughs> funding John's need for a 4K TV. No, unfortunately, Patreon subscribers, your money is funding the website and and other hosting things. But uh, John's children are eating less because John wants a 4K TV, and 4K and only TV. one of them is going to go to college. That's true. That's true. And so I'm I'm gonna. Break a pool cue in half, and I was just going to say, you're walking into a family dinner, and <laughs> we have some room for ex- aggressive, aggressive expansion. expansion. <laughs> Want to see a magic trick? All right, okay. So we all picked Delorean. Um, question number three: If you could, that, so ended, that ended up being kind of boring because we all picked the same thing. That's okay. I mean, we had some runners up. Wait a minute, hang on. Say the question one more time. Favorite crazy invention in a movie. Invention. How about the Batwing from Batman 89? Mm-hmm. Does that count? Is that an invention sure. or is that just like? Uh, actually, Nora's Nora's response to this was the breakfast machine from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, <laughs> uh, That may win the podcast. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. That right there. I thought that's I, a, that is a good pull. Yeah. Props yeah. to Nora, man. Yeah. Because yeah. growing up as a kid, I was like, I this is how I want breakfast. 
every day. Yeah, I'm going to make a little Rube Goldberg machine for my breakfast. Mm-hmm. Right? <sighs> yeah, I was like, that's a that's a nice choice. I'm good on you, kid. All right, so question number three. This is the one that when I asked my family the questions, like this one kind of took on a life of its own, and, and this took the rest of dinner for us to talk about. Uh, if you could own a famous work of art, so the actual, not like a reproduction or anything like that, could be a painting, could be a sculpture, could be whatever, um, and I had to, I put, I had to put in the caveat: you can't just take it so that you can turn around and sell it and get the cash. Because my son asked, um, if you could Good own thinking. a famous work of art, what would you choose to own? La Pieta, the uh, sculpture outside the Vatican, or not outside the Vatican, but in what is that, Saint Peter's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been there? Have you seen the actual? I have. Yeah. And that's kind of where I learned of it. Mm. Um, obviously, art is one of the many things that I need to uh, become more educated on. But that's where I learned of it. And yeah. seeing it in person was uh, awe-inspiring. Yeah. Well, because a lot of times you you don't even like the, the scale of certain pieces and the detail of certain pieces, like you can, you can see it in a photograph, but when you actually see it in person, it's, it's so much cooler. Yes. Yes. Well, John's before, before I asked you to, to clarify that he couldn't just sell it uh, and get the cash for it. Um, his option was, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll accept this as, as a work of art. Um, he said that he would want the, uh, Onus Wagner, uh, baseball card. There you go. And I said, yeah, but you can't sell it and get the cash. He's like, well, that's fine. I'll just, I'll display it in my room somewhere. Hmm. All right. I'll accept that. Hmm. Interesting. I, I didn't consider sports memorabilia as art. Yeah. I, for me, I think, well, we this is where it kind of, you know, things got more in-depth as Sharon and I started pulling out some of the books we have in our library, you know, based on artists that we enjoy and things like that. I'm, I'm wondering if you and I ha- are going to land on the same thing here. Okay. So um, keep going. Okay. So one of the books that we pulled out, and I probably would be completely happy with anything that this artist had done, um, I have, I have you know, three in particular that I would be totally fine with. Um, I said probably Nighthawks by Hopper. That was mine. Is that yours? That was my number one right there. Okay. I've I've got a second, but that was definitely my number one. What's your second? Uh, The Singing Butler, painted by uh, Jack Vetriano. Okay. Uh, Let's see if I can explain this, because we are not a visual medium. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. So it show, it's a painting um, that shows a couple dancing. Yeah. And like, I'm not sure if they're dancing on a beach or uh, where they're dancing, but it shows a couple dancing. And then there's a butler and a maid holding umbrellas over them. Mm-hmm. There's just something about, I, 
I don't know what it is about that um, that painting, but I really do like it. Well, in his style, because I've I've seen a lot of Jack Vecchiano before too. Um, uh, good Scottish boy, so thumbs up on that one. Um, his style is very similar to Hopper. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, or yeah. anything by um, I just totally lost Norman Rockwell. I love Norman Rockwell. Stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Lo- absolutely love Norman Rockwell. You know what? I as a kid, when I say kid, I, as a eleven to maybe fourteen or fifteen year old. Um, the one I would have said at that point in time would have been an original piece of artwork by H.R. Giger, the guy that designed the aliens. Mm-hmm. I, that I loved. I mean, it was very, very dark and twisted, but um, I loved. I, there was a book of his that I wanted to get that had a bunch of his artwork in it, and I never did get it as a kid. I think my parents might have been a little creeped out by it. Um, but <laughs> um, no, that's one that I absolutely loved his artwork. The other ones, the other Hopper ones, um, one of the ones that I really like by Hopper, I just, I like the color of it. And I just like, I, I like imagining what's the story that's going on in this, in this painting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is, absolutely. Yeah. Is um, a New York movie. I don't know if you guys have seen that one or not, that's another Hopper one. And it's it basically, it's an, it's an old like 1930s movie theater and you're seeing, you're not even seeing what's on the movie screen. You're seeing like half of the painting is the side of the movie theater. The other half is a woman standing off in kind of the, you know, standing off by where you would leave the movie theater. She's just standing there and she either looks like she's crying or thinking about something or whatever. Um, that's also always been one of my favorite Hopper paintings. Cool. And then Nora was telling me today that in one of her classes, um, they were using or they were talking about, um, uh, gosh, what was it? Um, House by the Railroad. And so we started to look that one up. That's the one where it's kind of the, it's like a big three or four story house, um, and like right in front of some railroad tracks. I didn't realize that that house, um, Nora started telling me, she's like, yeah, that house was the, what'd she say? That house was the, um, was the Adams family house or there was something that one of her teachers had mentioned to her. She's like, yeah, that house was in a bunch of different movies and things. And I looked it up and I was like, you're absolutely right. It was the inspiration for the old Adams family TV show house. Uh, cool. Like the, the inspiration for the, uh, and Psycho, yeah, the house in Psycho, yeah, for for Norman Bates, uh, yeah, the, the Bates's house up yep. on the top of the hill, yep, and the uh, the Beetlejuice house, but yeah, I I would probably be, I mean, if you gave me anything by Hopper, I'd be totally fine. I'm gonna uh, well, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. I was just, I, w- I would I would happily accept anything from uh, an original by Alex Ross. Yeah. Yeah. That that'd be cool too. I I got to be honest with you. I've always had a, some uh, a thing for impressionism. I've always loved impressionist paintings and 
yeah, paintings. So I, I could, I, I hate to say I love it all, but you know, I, I just, hang, I, I could hang starry night in my house and be fine with that. There you go. I, I have a giant, I have it. I think I got it in college. I have a giant starry night poster out in our, like the extra room we have behind the house. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I wish there were like other places. It's so huge. Like there's no other place I can put it. I don't have anywhere in the house that would work for it to be put up anywhere. Um, in some of my, hmm, I don't, I don't know if I want to say like darker days. Um, I would have also said a um, couple different paintings by William Blake. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit more, you know, some of those are a little bit more twisted, especially when you get into like the heaven and hell imagery and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Alex Ross is a good, is a good call though. I, I walk by every time we have C2E2 and I walk by, they, they usually have like, he has his own, um, uh, you know, set up like his own display of just mm -hmm. his stuff. And I walk by there every time and I'm like, oh, if I had $800. <laughs> if I had $800, I could buy half of one of these. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe uh, an original Drew Struzan would be cool to have too. That would be cool. I have no idea what movie I'd want, but. I, as much as I think I would pick Star Wars, I don't know if I would. I think I might actually pick Indiana Jones. I think I, I think I got to get his book. Yeah, or one of one of the collections of his artwork. Yeah. Oh, you know, what, you, know what I, you know what I should have done is I should have done like an original, um, you know, original comic page from uh, the Rocketeer. Oh, that'd be cool. I should have done that. Should have done like a Dave Stevens piece of artwork. That's been the fun. And now I know this isn't quite the same as like the works of art that we're, we're talking about when we talk about Edward Hopper and, you know, La Pieta and things like that. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Like that's the thing lately when I go to that comic book show is I, I've been plopping down less and less money on, you know, buying little like trinkets and stuff like that. And more and more on like, okay, well, I'm going to save up some money. I'm going to go and I'm actually going to commission somebody to make a piece of art for me, like a one-of-a-kind piece of art. And that actually has really been fun, like the last several years to do that and collect some of those things. Because then that's, I, to me, that's a little bit more meaningful than like when I used to go and like, I'm going to go buy a replica of the hoverboard from Back to the Future. Now that's cool too, but there's a bunch of hoverboards out there. If I go right. and, if I go and I find an artist whose style I like and I'm like, hey, can you um, can you do one where like the Rocketeer is fighting Boba Fett and they're both using <laughs> their jetpacks and they're flying around each other in the sky and and usually those guys are like, oh, can I? Absolutely, I can. That would be so much fun. And then you get to talk to him for a little bit and then you get this awesome piece of artwork at the end of the deal too. So that's how Nora got the porcupine. That is that is how how she became a a trendsetter with the porcupine. That's right. All right. I do we I think that's about it. Do we have anything else we want to say about Beauty and the Beast? Oh, what a great movie. Yeah. Despite all the things that Pat hates about it. Right. It's still a really good movie. Right. I mean Bell is such a white savior. 
Oh, for <laughs> crying out loud. You know, in my, in my defense. said something really inappropriate. I, I. It's a kid's movie, Jeff. I, I didn't like the townspeople. That's not a, too bad. I'm not like hating the whole movie. The townspeople got on my nerves. Gaston got on my nerves, but he's supposed to. All right. Well, Patreon subscribers or future Patreon subscribers, Pat hates Beauty and the Beast. So if this no, has been your favorite no, movie. No, 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 no. This is, this is like you and Point Break. Yeah, because I hate Point Break. Yeah, why did you hate Point Break again? I can't stand Point It's It's the worst movie I've ever seen. What were you like? You were like, no, I, yeah, was just, I, th- I, was- I thought that the credits went on for 10.2 seconds too long. Yeah, John, I don't know why you hate Point Break or something. It was something no, I, like that. I, I really enjoyed Point Break. I just had a philosophical struggle with the end of the movie. Oh, that's right. My philosophical struggle was I would not have let him go. I would not have let him ride that final wave. I would have, I mean, as a law enforcement officer, I would have kept him handcuffed and tortured by the fact because he he needs to atone for what he's done. I would put him away in jail and and he'd be tortured by the fact that he never got to ride that final wave and he's going to sit in jail for the rest of his life. And he's got to think about that. I see. So I'm a much more forgiving person in real life, but that was a movie. Yeah. So, so that was my response to that movie was no. Like you, you killed my mentor. You almost killed my girlfriend. You actually hurt and killed several people. You robbed a bank and there's no remorse. So why would I let you have that one last final ride that you really want to have? Yeah, that, that's my only. I like the movie. That's my only problem with the end of it. Gotcha. Philosophical, judi- not judicial system. The criminal justice system. Philosophical struggles. Gotcha. That's that's what I bumped on. Well, I didn't like the townspeople, and I'm glad that Belle moved in with the Beast. And in my head canon, her dad moves in too, and he has an inventing room. Okay. And all is good. In my and, head, in my head canon, once I found out that his name is supposed to be Adam, and that yeah. he's and that he's Prince Adam, and he transforms. In my head canon, he's actually He Man. Oh, there you go. So, tale as old as time, and I have the power. So that's uh, that's. I'm just uh, going to imagine uh, that uh, from uh, now on. So, right. All right. Well, as always, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for always doing this and uh, getting you guys together. Because like I've said before, as much as I'm not able to get on the episodes, I I really enjoy listening to them uh, every week. So keep up the great work, John and Pat and Bo and and Dennis, when you're able to make it. It's, It's a fun thing to look forward to every week. Well, and and we miss you when you're not able to be on. So we're, yeah. we're glad we're glad oh, when we get can get out. you on here. Get out! You do not. We no, do. I do absolutely. Because if you're not here, I just pick on Pat more. Yeah, and that's easy. Right. He's an he's an easy target. I actually have to think a little bit more when I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> I, Thank you. I love you, Pat. I love you guys too. I love everybody, except for the townspeople. I don't love them. They were jerks. No one stood up for. <laughs> Gaston, he's a jerk. Yeah, he is a jerk, but he's supposed to be. Oh, and he was so good too. 
He's the villain. He's a great villain. Yeah. It's it's a great villain. It's just so fun. If, if you ever want to have some fun, go on YouTube and look up some videos of uh, the character interacting with guests at Disney World. Okay. <laughs> Is it pretty funny? That's good. Okay. There was one recently. He was marching down the middle of the street in a parade and a, uh, a female guest yelled at him. My boyfriend just broke up with me, but would you go out on a date with me? He turns and looks at her and goes, I'm sorry, but I'm looking for the fairest maiden in all the land. And just kept on walking. Oh, just like, ouch. Oh, Dang. Don't bury yourself in the park. Oh, to be a, to, to be a character that allows you to just be mm. that snarky to, to guests. I don't know. I, I think like, of a care of all the characters to play, that makes that one kind of enticing. Yeah. Well, you know what your <laughs> career path is if you start working at Ed DeBevix and you need to move up to something else. I was just gonna right. say Ed DeBevix. Oh, good old Ed DeBevix. Are there any still open? I don't think so. Yeah, I think they all closed. Let me Google that as for a, you. As, as a snarky, sarcastic teenager, I, I had dreams that that might be if I was ever going to work in food service, that might be the place I'd have to go. I, mostly because that kind of attitude was not accepted at uh, Rainforest Cafe. Right. I'm on their website, but there's nowhere to look up. Like, So they wanted her baking a cake? Did I miss something? Did that part end up making it in, or did she argue back and say, no, she needs to want to travel the world? I, You know, I, I was trying to remember. Um, I don't think that part made it into the movie either mm. like i don't think either of those parts made it into the movie but they that was part of the original i think a part of the original screenplay that the writer had said yeah i, I had this whole scene of her putting push pins into a map and they came back and they're like no we're gonna have her bake a cake but yeah. I, don't, I don't remember that part being in the movie either so yeah 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 apparently ed debevix is gone but it's coming back oh, oh yay no no idea where okay all right. Oh, opens in October on Ohio Street in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's an experience I think everybody should have at least once. Oh, oh yeah. This is fun. Yeah. You know, maybe if uh, if if Jason and Dee ever make it out back out to uh, to Chicago, we take them to at the Bevix. Yeah. But do. let's not explain to them what's going to happen. Oh no, no. Let's just take them there. Yeah. Well, like my sister went to a birthday party there one time, and and one of the uh, one of the teen girls that was part of the birthday party got licked by the waiter. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Ed DeBevix. Yeah, I see. All Ed DeBe- I'm not sure that was legal back then, but yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure the waiter was from a different time, right? A different time when certain things were well, 19, accepted. 1997. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'm looking up restaurants that I, I love in Chicago to see if they're even still there. Yeah. I went to. Uh, I remember I took some friends there, and they were new. They knew about it. They knew what was ready, but they still got angry. I'm like, guys, you got to enjoy. No, man, this is that. That was out of line. It's funny. I asked the guy. I'm like, hey, you guys have any whatever you know, diet slice or whatever the heck yeah. you know. Pepsi light or what? And he's just like, the guy walks by. I'm like, Hey, yeah. Do you have any blah, 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 blah. And he's like, read the menu nerd. 
They are nice. That's pretty good, man. That's funny. That's funny. Read the menu, nerd. Need to. Uh... So I want to answer questions at school. Mr. C, what night is the concert on? Read the handbook, nerd. <laughs> Uh, what, what place a place that you need to we need to take uh, Jason and D if they were to come up here is uh, Billy Goat Tavern. Oh yeah, it, well if you can get in. Oh yeah, that, and that is a big if. Is it hard to get into now? Billy Goat? Yeah. Oh not I'm I'm sorry I was thinking of um, Girl Only Goat. Oh okay okay. Oh yeah, Billy Goat used to. Just go down there all the time. All right, I think that's do it for this episode. We're we're gonna we're gonna go off the air and we're gonna just Google restaurants probably for the rest of the evening. But right. well, um, I just looked up Zephyr to see if Zephyr Cafe was still up and running. Still, still there? I don't. I'm not sure. Okay. Doesn't really say. Well, in, so. the, in the meantime, while we're Googling restaurants, you can go to 30podcast.com, find all of our past episodes, um, find out more about our show. You can leave a rating for the show. You can join us as a co-executive producer via Patreon. Um, we had, I think, the My Dinner with Andre episode just came out maybe a few days ago. Um, the One of the ones we got coming up next is Evil Dead. That'll be a fun one as well as we hop into October. Um, so this does finish out our month of September. And um, we are, we've got coming up in October, Silence of the Lambs, uh, which I think we're trying to arrange maybe a special episode where we do have the guys from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast join us for that one. Um, and I know that they were interested in doing something with Silence of the Lambs on their own show, so we may have a little bit of a, little bit of a crossover going there. Um, that'll be episode number 375 for us. Um, then we've got Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. We've got Sleeping with the Enemy. And we've got the people under the stairs. Our Patreon, like I said, for October will be Evil Dead from 1981. Then in November, we've got Defending Your Life, uh, What About Bob, The Doors, The Fisher King, and our Patreon will be our favorite TV shows of 1991. That'll be fun. That's what we got coming up for the next couple of months or so. I'd I'd have to look up TV shows from 1991, but I feel like that'd be fun. Uh, Erie, Erie, Indiana was out in 91. I watch never watched one? it. You never watched that one? That was a fun. It's like no. it's like X Files for kids. Yeah, yeah, I always I always wanted to, but I never. I don't know. I never yeah. watched it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then don't forget to check out our sponsor, Scene Stealers Podcast Network. Head over to scenestealersglobal.com and check out their stuff there. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for checking us out, for being here with us um, in our uh, kind of our extended uh, Beauty and the Beast episode. Um, but it's it's all good stuff. Like there's there's no way we could talk for any less than what we did because it's such a good movie, with amazing music and all kinds of good stuff. So yeah, um, but yeah. So again, thank you, gentlemen, for always being here with me and and having so much fun talking movies. And uh, we'll see everybody back here next time for Silence of the Lambs. I, yeah. I, I very very quickly, I might have freaked Nora out a little bit this afternoon. Good because yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pat's response, good. Um, yeah. Parenting for the win. Um, because she was asking me, she's like, so what, do, what What? are you doing this time? And I was like, we're doing Beauty and the Beast. And she's like, what are you doing next time? I'm like, well, next time we're in October, so it's all scary movies. And she's like, well, what's, what's the first one you're doing? And I said, oh, it's called Silence of the Lambs. She's like, I think I've heard of that one. 
And I said, well, I mean, I won't tell you much about it, but the main one of the main characters, his name is Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter, and he's a, he's a serial killer, so that kind of gives you a sense. She's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to watch that one. I'm like, yeah, no, you're definitely not going to watch that one. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of creepy. And so then I let her sit with that for about two seconds, and then I turned to her and I went, a census man tried to test me once. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. And she's like, her eyes got huge. She's just like, yeah, no, I'm not watching that one. She's like, what That's was awesome. that? I was like, it's just silence of lambs. Don't worry about it. All right. On that note, hey, everybody, go scare your children. Be excellent to each other. And we'll see you back here next time.